Hello, and welcome back to 15 Minutes of Fascism, a sadly topical podcast covering the global rise of the radical right. I'm Dr. Craig Johnson bringing to you this week news from Argentina, Chile, Czechia, which is the new name of the Czech Republic, Hungary, Italy, the United States, and a see you in hell that's the celebration of a dead fascist from Romania. I'm going to start out with Argentina. The new president of Argentina, Javier Millet, has issued Argentina's equivalent of an executive order, which is known by the acronym DNU in Argentina. This has essentially circumvented a massive amount of Argentine law, protecting workers' rights, protecting companies from privatization, protecting all sorts of other social welfare benefits. This new DNU has made a radical turn towards austerity in the Argentine government. He has also devalued the peso by almost 50%, or by more than 50%, actually, uh, increasing the exchange rate between the peso and the dollar from $1 to about 365 pesos to $1 to 800 pesos. He's also moving towards privatizing a large portion of the Argentine economy, reduction in workers' rights, such as the right to stage a strike, etc., etc., Of course, there have been big protests against this move. Argentina has a much more uh, vital and powerful labor movement than the United States does and than many other countries in the world do. However, these protests have not been as big as you might have expected, partly because the government has said that anybody who participates in them will have their social benefits taken away from them and that the government will also take away their children's social benefits. They are also actually following through on this claim. And they're even saying that they are going to bill arrested protesters for the cost of the law enforcement used against them. Now, that is some neoliberal bullshit. Uh, Argentina is really descending into a post-democratic situation here with the president ruling by decree. Moving on to Argentina's neighbor, Chile. Chile voted last weekend on a new constitution. They voted on a relatively liberal constitution earlier this year, which failed, and they voted on a much more conservative other draft this weekend. That one also failed. This means that Chile is still left without a new constitution. Their constitution is still the one that was written under the Pinochet dictatorship in 1980. Moving on to Czechia, there has been a mass shooting in Prague earlier today. The shooting was in the center of the city and involved a school. Many, many people have been killed. It remains unclear what the motive or, as far as I can tell, the identity of the shooter is as of my recording in the morning of Thursday the 21st. So I'm telling you this largely because mass shootings that occur at school campuses in European countries are often motivated by some right-wing crap, either by misogyny or by racism, or just by straight-up fascist ideology. I don't know that about this school shooting, but I'm alerting you to it in case that that turns out to have been the case. Moving on to Hungary. There has been a new law passed in Hungary that enables the government of that country, the government run by Viktor Orban, the extreme right-wing parliamentarian, and allows that government to essentially investigate any private citizen in Hungary for supposedly acting against the interests of the country. This would enable them to crack down significantly on possible dissent against their relatively authoritarian government. And this move has prompted concern by human rights watchers from the United States to the European Union, which Hungary remains a part of. 
As I said in my crystal ball episode on Tuesday, I think that we're going to be seeing a lot more right-wing activity and a lot more explicitly right-wing activity, especially from countries like Hungary and Italy, as the right-wing in Europe becomes increasingly power, for example, with the recent election of Geert Wilders as Prime Minister of the Netherlands. And speaking of Italy, earlier this weekend, the right-wing organized a big party. Uh, And by party, I don't mean like political party. I mean like a shindig, like a get-together. This was held at a castle in Italy, and it was run by the Italian Prime Minister, Giorgia Maloney. This party was attended by right-wing influencers and political operatives throughout Europe and the world, including the Prime Minister of the United Kingdom, Rishi Sunak, and also the prominent right-wing billionaire, Elon Musk. Sunak, Musk, and Maloney all talked about how they needed to, quote-unquote, stop immigration, you know, talking about the, quote-unquote, demographic crisis that countries like Italy and the UK are facing. The demographic crisis is usually a dog whistle that people use to describe immigration by people who are not white. This is especially interesting coming from Sunak, who is a person of color, Sunak's parents, were immigrants to the United Kingdom from South Asia. Musk, of course, himself is an immigrant to the United States, although he is a white South African as opposed to being a person of color. Uh, I also just want to note that like a bunch of other right-wing crap made by sort of old millennials slash Gen Z right-winger people like Maloney, Sunak, and Musk, this party was named after a pop culture character. Specifically, it was named after Atreyu from The NeverEnding Story, fucking ridiculous. More news on Musk is that Musk's new Twitter slash X rules, you know, his rules for running the social media company that he purchased and is currently running into the ground, mean that it is much easier to spread hate and vitriol on that platform. Specifically, details have been leaked about how content is being moderated on that platform that indicate that they're they're essentially intentionally turning a blind eye to right-wing stuff that's happening on the platform, They are turning a blind eye to spreading racist hatred. They're turning a blind eye to spreading sexist content, to harassing people, to uh, images that depict or talk about sexual violence. Uh, They're also caring a lot less about explicit sexual content of any kind, including child pornography. This is really disgusting coming from a platform that had previously been essentially the equivalent of the Postal Service for the entire world. Musk and Twitter are being investigated by the European Union for their failure to handle this kind of stuff and for their enabling of it. Moving on to the United States, the FBI has arrested a prominent neo-Nazi leader on charges of child pornography. Uh, Kalana Limken was arrested in Hawaii this weekend for leading a child pornography ring connected directly to neo-Nazism. More on right-wing figures in the United States facing legal charges, Charles Donahue, a Proud Boy leader who pled guilty to participating in the attempted coup on January 6th, was this week sentenced to three years in prison. Now, Donahue was a cooperator. He worked with the prosecutors. He pled guilty. He named names. You know, he essentially worked with the government to find and get evidence about other people who participated in the coup, both on the Proud Boys and elsewhere in the attempted uh, coup. This means that Donahue is... You know, he, he's been found guilty, but part of his plea deal was that he might get credit for time served. 
And since he has already been in custody for approximately three years and has been given approximately three years in jail, he might be getting out pretty soon because he got credit for time served. Moving on to people like Donahue's biggest ally, we got news, big news about Donald Trump. Donald Trump has been ruled off the Colorado primary ballot due to his having engaged in a, quote, insurrection against the United States. Now, if you haven't been following this news story, Donald Trump has been facing lawsuits in multiple states in the United States, alleging that he cannot legally appear on any presidential ballot in those states. Specifically, these people who are litigating this are saying that Donald Trump is ineligible because of a relatively like often ignored clause in the 14th Amendment of the United States Constitution. The 14th Amendment of the United States Constitution is a Reconstruction Amendment. It was passed after the success of the North against the South in the United States Civil War. And it has a bunch of provisions, some of which are extremely radical and are essentially the, the, the bedrock of a lot of civil rights legislation in the United States. Another part that people had been ignoring basically since the end of Reconstruction is that the 14th Amendment says that if you have participated in an insurrection or a rebellion against the United States while you were a sworn officer of the United States, you are ineligible to run for office in the United States. Now, this was passed in Reconstruction in order to prevent people who had been part of state governments prior to the war, prior to the Civil War, running again after the Civil War. You know, saying like, hey, if you were the governor of South Carolina and you went ahead, you went along with secession against the United States, you can't just turn around and run for governor again after, the, after South Carolina has rejoined the Union, right? You, you can't just do that. Now, Trump is being held accountable for his participation in an insurrection. And this is why a lot of legal scholars and people have insisted on calling the January 6th attempted coup an insurrection. It's because they're trying to get Trump on things like this. Now, this decision notably does not bar Trump from appearing on the January 2024 ballot for the presidency in Colorado. It just says that he can't appear on the primary ballot in the Colorado Republican primary. This doesn't mean that he can't be voted in because he could be written in by Colorado primary voters. Another alternative that the Colorado GOP is openly considering is moving away from a primary system and moving towards a caucus system like that used in Iowa and several other states in the United States, which is sort of more like a town hall. It's, it's, it's a more conservative way to run primaries in general. Trump is facing similar lawsuits in other states, including Michigan, which is a pretty vital swing state for him. If Trump doesn't win Michigan, there aren't that many paths to victory in the Electoral College for him. Trump, of course, is saying that he's going to appeal this decision and it might go straight to the Supreme Court very soon. This would be a very big deal if Trump was successfully barred from appearing on this ballot, although it doesn't necessarily mean the end of his presidential run he probably wasn't going to win Colorado in 2024 anyway. Finally, going to close out this week like I do every week with See You in Hell, a segment celebrating the deaths of prominent right-wing figures in history. This week, we are going to Romania prior to World War II, and I'm talking about a female Romanian fascist activist. Her name was Elena Bacalogu. I do not speak Romanian, and so I apologize for my pronunciation of her last name. I'm going to be referring to her as Elena for the remainder of this podcast. Elena was born to a Romanian family in Bucharest in 1878. 
that is the year in which Romania gains its independence from the Ottomans at the, you know, with the aid of the Russian Empire. Elena's family was extremely wealthy and well-connected. This led to her receiving an extremely good education, not just for a woman, but for anybody at the time. She became fluent in French and also several other European languages. Due to her education, she went to France, namely Paris, in order to continue her studies in French and in order to essentially be a wealthy dilettante type. There, she met longtime lovers, poets, authors, sculptors, artists, etc. Essentially, she did the fin de cycle thing. She married a series of poets and intellectuals. She had children with them. She had divorces with them. She you know, had her own literary and editorial work. She had an unsuccessful suicide attempt. She had problems with drugs and alcohol. Essentially, the romantic Parisian late 19th century life. She moved from France to Italy in 1904 and worked there as a poet, an organizer, and magazine writer. When World War I began, she became a Romanian nationalist activist still in Italy, arguing that Romania should join the war on the part of the Entente, that is, against Germany and Austria, in an attempt to regain territory that Romanians thought was theirs that was held by Austria-Hungary. Romania did eventually do this and was actually granted a lot of that territory that she demanded. There, she also began her longtime love of pan-Latinism, which is a form of pan-nationalism in Europe, which is about sort of culturally and kind of materially and politically reorganizing the Roman Empire, you know, like countries and peoples that were influenced by the Latin culture and language. This was especially popular among people of her particular economic and social strata, you know, where they spoke multiple Romance languages and like traveled around, like bopped around from, from Rome to Paris to other places that were influenced by the Roman Empire. After the war, Elena began to work with Italian fascists and other right-wingers and also sort of other more eclectic nationalist Italians. And she was working specifically on creating a Romanian version of Italian fascism, which she, like many other sort of intellectual fin de cycle dilettantes like herself, really, really loved and was really excited about. She began a correspondence with Benito Mussolini, who was at the time, you know, a a budding early leader in Italian politics and not yet at the time the leader of Italian fascism as, you know, as a state power. In 1921, Elena created the National Italo-Romanian Cultural and Economic Movement, which eventually became a, an openly fascist organization, a version of fascism in Romania which was also immediately anti-Semitic, whereas Italian fascism wasn't really anti-Semitic at the time. It was primarily organized in Transylvania, which is not a fictional place. It's a real place in Romania. And she moved to Romania to engage in activism there. Her group was essentially a failure. It eventually merged with other bigger fascist organizations in Romania, which were themselves completely eclipsed by the Iron Guard, the Legion of the Archangel Michael, which is Romania's largest historical fascist organization. Her group was pretty stymied by the fact that she couldn't vote in Romania when she was trying to lead this fascist party. Romanian women did not gain the vote until 1923. After the failure of her party, Elena was essentially exiled from politics as such and continued to live as an intellectual dilettante slash state employee for the rest of her life. She lived through the crackdown against fascism, and then the Iron Guard took power, and then they were deposed, and then communist rule took over after the war, and Romania became a sort of Soviet client state for the rest of her life. 
She died either in 1947 or 1949. This is particularly hard to pin down. And sources just say that she died sort of late in the year, which is why I am talking about her now in December. So, Elena Bakalogu, we will see you in hell. That was 15 Minutes of Fascism, a sadly topical podcast covering the global rise of the radical right. I'm Dr. Craig Johnson, thanking Sleepy Kitty Arts and Sleepy Kitty Music for our intro, outro, and graphics. If you enjoyed the podcast, please like, share, and subscribe. Please leave a review of whatever it is you're listening to this on. Don't check out my Patreon or probably the Patreon of most other content creators right now. Instead, go to Medicine Sans Frontières, that's Doctors Without Borders, the Red Crescent or the Red Cross, or the Gaza Children's Fund. If you are interested in participating in the Q&A section of this podcast, please email me at 15minutesoffascism at gmail.com. That's spelled out in all one word. I can also be reached at uh, fascism15 on Twitter and hist of the right on Twitter. That's H-I-S-T of the right on Twitter. And I am on Blue Sky at 15-M-I-N-S-O-F-F-A-S-C. I will also be taking a holiday end of year break next week. So no episodes this week. I will return the first week of January. All right. Thanks very much, and I'll talk to you next year. 